John chapter 6. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs and because you ate, oh, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures the eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so then we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The word of God. Ah, please be seated. As many academies do, if you are not familiar with academy, that means um, you are new to our church and our community and welcome. For most Adventists, when we send our kids to high school, we decided we would call them an academy. And that is why we say the academy. When I was in academy, uh, as most academies do, we tend to visit our sister colleges that are near the area. And it's, it's always like a great time. You build relationships, you build rapport, you make new friends there on the campus. And we did that often uh, through my whole uh, experience in academy, especially my senior year, we would do that. And so I had built a lot of good connections up there, friends and 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 collegiate people that got to know me and would take care of me. And even though our college, our sister college, was two hours away, every time we would go up there, there would be someone on the campus who would always take care of me. I always had three or four really good friends who were attending college who would just know that I was there. And, and then they, they would call and check, hey, we saw your school checked in. Do you want to go get some food? And um, one of those friends' name was Carlene. And she was always like a big sister role. She, she took care of me, you know, and watched over me. We came up for one of our tournaments in the gym. And as we first got there, back then you didn't have cell phones, so you had to go to, they had like little dial phones on each building, and then you would, do, 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 you know, and you, that's how it worked back then. Look it up, it's online. I went, I hadn't made my call. She didn't know I was there, but I thought, man, it would be great. It's, it's Sabbath evening, we're going to go grab some food, we'll see some friends, we'll have worship. So I came into the gym with our team, and as we approached the gym, we climb up the stairs from the parking lot, and we come right into the opening of the gym there. It looked like an airport hangar. And as you come in, 
I saw her. She was standing right, uh, right in front of me, facing the games, just cheering. And I thought, oh, man, what a great blessing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surprise. So I came up on her, and I just bear hugged her from the back. And I said, hey. And she was shocked. I lifted her off the ground, and I put her down, and, and she turned to me, and her face was just, you know, she was fully shocked and besides herself as she looked at me. And then as I was looking at her, I realized why she was so shocked. Because it wasn't Carlene. <laughs> Mercy. And so I was shocked and in awe. And she said, excuse me? And I said, no, excuse me. Have you ever done that before? That happened? It happens, right? Where we, where we think we know exactly who it is before us. And it's a mistake. We've all had moments like this where we've confused someone or something for someone else or something else. You may have done that uh, walking down some familiar places, a lot of familiar human beings in this area, you know, and you see someone and they wave and you wave back and you realize what? They're not waving at you. You're like, oh, okay, never mind. Right? We've all done that. Or you've, you've, you've yelled out hello to someone and you yell out their name and they're looking confused and you're like, that's not you. My bad. Have you ever confused food for things that it isn't? Have you ever uh, confused wasabi for guacamole? This has happened to my nephew. It is tough, but it's a great lesson to learn as a child. It's a tough experience. Maybe you've been through a charcuterie board and you picked up a cheese you thought you knew. A cheese who you thought was your friend. Who was going to be mild and sweet in your mouth. And then you had it and it was, you know, it was, it was death itself. You ever done that? Maybe as you have done like I have done many times. When I started going to these nicer meals and they had the big round tables and you sit there and they've got like four different glasses and like 12 different knives and forks. And then they always put out ice cream, right? In the beginning. And then you eat it and you realize, nope, that's butter. <laughs> that's not ice cream. <laughs> One of Dr. Morton... Dr. Darren Morton is the director, and he will be with us actually in a few Sabbaths. It's going to be exciting. He's, he's Australian, so he talks like this. Right? If you've been watching the videos along, you know who he is. Um, he's fit. You know those Australians are real because everything in Australia tries to kill you, right? So if you make it in Australia, you're like a strong human being. He's going to be with us in a few weeks. But one of his points from this coming week's um, uh, series of Food Feeds Your Mood it originates from Michael Pollan's, actually Michael Pollan's bestseller in defense of food, where he warns his readers to be careful not to confuse food-like substance for food. Not to confuse food-like substance for food. These are just empty calories parading around as if they were real good calories. The body actually reacts in his study. The body reacts to this food-like substance as a foreign invader and tries to fight it. So when you eat foods that aren't actual foods but they're food-like substances, your body rejects it and has to fight through it. 
And he says, if you want to know what a food is, ask this question. Does your great, would your great-grandmother recognize the food? If she doesn't recognize it, it's probably not real food. It's substance-like food. It may have come out of a box or a bag, processed, heavily unidentifiable to someone who's used to plucking things off trees. We must be careful that we do not confuse food-like substance for actual food. In our text today, also a well-known author, they, the author warns us of something similar. Here in chapter 6, he entreats us, the reader, not to confuse daily bread for the true living bread. Not to confuse daily bread for the true living bread. We need food that feeds the soul. This, this daily bread is something that feeds us physically, but we need something that, that will feed the depth and the desire of our soul. Hence, we need soul food. Turn to somebody and say, soul food. Yes. Yes and yes. After church, go get you some soul food and think about the food for the soul. The events prior to our passage here in chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Like he did this huge, beautiful miracle and people are eating, right? And so they're being filled and so they feel good. They're connected to this individual who can make bread. Now the Romans have been kind of doing this. This is their way kind of placating change, right? So, in, so they distract the people by giving them something so that they don't uh, uh, rise up and fight against or rebel against Rome. But Jesus just pops out of the blue. He feeds the 5,000. And they say, wow, this one has the answer to our daily needs. And so they begin to press on Jesus in this story because they want Jesus to become the king. They're going to force him into kingship. So Jesus retreats away. He goes up a mountain. Nightfall comes. The disciples are moving across the water. Jesus meets them on the boat. They get to the other side. And this is where we find our text today. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answers them, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, thematic for the book of John, for pointing to Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the text of the Bible, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has sent his seal. You notice Jesus' response. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you want to follow me because of what I can do. And not because of who I am. No relationship is ever going to be successful if you are being in that relationship for what that person can do and not because of who that person is. Relationships are built on the vulnerability of two individuals who see and know each other for who they are and grow from that place. And Jesus says, you're here not because you've seen me. You just saw the signs. I just fed 5,000. There was leftover food. You, you know that I can do this. You're here because of that. You didn't recognize that sign pointing to me as your eternal partner in intimate relationship. 
the one who wants to be with you, who wants to do good in your, in your life. You are just here because you want more bread. Be careful not to confuse bread of life like substance for the bread of life. Christianity wants a God who can bring us value through blessings and justice through our bias. We want to pray and for God to give us answers. We're willing to wait a little bit and even be slightly uncomfortable, but then after that, God, you've got to answer our prayers. We, we want to know how can we gain the result of praying? How can we get more rewards? How can we be blessed more? And I think that God isn't always interested in the answers so much as God is interested in bringing us value in our relationship with God in order that we might bear faith, truth, and love. The working of God in our life isn't like a, uh, a slot machine or you know, an answer box where God wants to just give us everything that we want. What God is doing in our life, in, in our complex moments, in our difficult places, where we have questions, where we struggle, is God wants to be in that place with us, sit with us that we might recognize God's face even in the midst of the storm. Jesus gave his disciples a lot of unsatisfactory answers when they wanted to value through specific blessings. Oh, they would ask God for things and Jesus would just continue to give them an unsatisfactory answer. He answers these with, with, with things of relational and sacrificial meaning. Lay down your life. Pick up your cross. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. It's always relational. It's always sacrificial. This is what Jesus calls from Jesus' church. We are to be a people that are relational and sacrificial. In the, in the book of, of, of Mark chapter 10, James and John approaches Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, uh, uh, can, can, I, can we sit on your left and your right side? And Jesus says, hey, you don't know what you're asking for. You can't handle my left and my right side. And they said, no, 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 we're able to do this. We can do, we want to sit on your left and your right. And Jesus says, okay, well, you can drink uh, the drink that I drink and you can be baptized in the baptism I'm baptized in. But the left and the right is prepared for those from before who deserve to be there. And check it out. In Mark, the disciples here, verse 41, they began to be angry with John and James. Now, Jesus didn't tell John and James that they were going to be sitting on his left and right. But the disciples were upset because they assumed that James and John gets to be on the far left and right. The, the disciples here are saying, hey, what about us? We deserve some blessing. We deserve to sit on your left and on your right. Jesus says this, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them. And the disciples are like, yep, exactly. That, that's right. We want to sit on your left and your right because we know how the culture works. And Jesus says, and their great ones are tyrants over them. And the disciples are like, yes, this is what we want, Jesus. We want to be on your left and your right. We want to lord it together. We want to take over the world, Christians, for Jesus. Jesus says this to them in verse 43. But it's not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be the first among you must be a slave to all. 
For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. He doesn't give the fanciful answers. He doesn't give the awesome blessings. He, he doesn't give more daily bread. He calls us into an experience by which we begin to live our lives sacrificially for others, just like Jesus does. Matthew 28. Jesus comes back on the Mount of Galilee. Some are, some are doubting and they worship. And he says, all authority has been given unto me that is in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go out, teach, baptize, disciple, do the work. These are, 12, these are 11 like illy broken human beings who just noticed that Jesus had died. They just experienced the death of their leader. He's back. They don't have anything. They're standing before Jesus. Jesus says, don't worry. I've got all authority in me. And so they're thinking, oh, awesome, Jesus. So what's our budget? How much do we have to make this work? What's going to be our evangelistic track? How are we going to do this? And you know what Jesus' answer was for them? It was this. I'll be with you. Wait, what? All authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus, you got all the power in the world. You could do whatever you need to do. You could empower us with tools and finances and a place. And all you're telling us is that you're going to be with us until the end of the age? That's right. Oh, unsatisfactory. God. I need better answers. Later on in the book of John, chapter 15, Jesus says to his peoples, as he's prepping for the next stage, he says, if the world hates you, I can imagine the disciples, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. If the, Lord, if the world hates us, how are you going to empower us to have the upper hand? Will you give us a better military? Will you give us more money? What, what are we going to do? How are you going to make us stronger? How are we going to impose our Christianness on others so that everyone is vegetarian? Amen. How are we going to do this, Jesus? What is it that you're going to give us? That'll give us the upper hand. Then Jesus says, remember. And the disciples are sitting on their, yes, remember, remember. What are we remembering? The big fire from heaven with, with uh, Elijah? Are we remembering how you part the Red Sea? Are we remembering the, the war of Gideon and the Midianites? What are we remembering? And Jesus says, remember that the world hated me first. What? So you're telling me that when I'm going through stuff and there's no answers my answer is that you've been through this too. It's not more power. It's not more rightness. You're not going to give me more might or a bigger stick or more manpower. You're not going to give us the upper hand here, Jesus. No. To partake of the true bread of life is to find a new way of living. To partake of the bread of life, it is to find a new way of living, a more loving way, a more gracious way, a welcoming way, a, ba a way by which the foreigner and the stranger and the motherless and the widow might say, ah, all are welcomed here. It will take everything in us to let go and to trust God. And that is why we cannot just settle for bread-like substances. 
But we must eat of the true bread of life. For when we eat of the true bread of life, we no longer ask, what do I get? Instead, we begin to ask, what can I give? But the crowd isn't there yet. The crowd isn't quite where we are in the story. They said to him, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. They're still trying to get Jesus to share the secrets of how to get more bread. I'm not mad at them. I enjoy bread. Any bread lovers out here? Ooh, mercy. I love bread. I love bread. Did I, is there a box over there somewhere? I, I wanted to, yeah, can you pass me that box? Yes. My wife introduced me to this just a little while ago. Has anybody seen this box? <laughs> this, this box, this box is empty, by the way, because I ate it all. Praise the Lord. This box of bread is made just over there near Tyler and Hole, and they, they make them fresh, and when you bite them, it's like biting little angels. They just melt in your mouth, and they give you a slight blessing. You can go there sometime this week, and um, it, you know, if you all go there enough, just tell them Pastor Icky should get a discount. I love bread. I'm, I'm not mad at them for wanting more bread. Uh, they need sustenance. They need a way to live. They, they're, they're in a place where they need someone who can fill a need. I'm not mad at that at all. But it's not enough for us just to want God to bless us with more bread. The crowd cannot find the true meaning of the bread of life because they're distracted by their own hankerings. They're distracted by their own things. They're distracted with the life around them. It is a well-known idea that sometimes when we're thirsty, our body sends a signal and instead we think we're hungry. Has anyone experienced that before? Have you experienced that? I do it all the time. Instead of drinking the gallon of water, I just eat star bread. And then I go home and I'm like, why do I feel this way? And your body's like, well, you should have drank water because that's what you needed. We are distracted by our hankerings in life, by our personal biases, by the people that we listen to who tell us things. And because these fill our spaces, we think that it's the bread of life when really it's just a bread of life like substance that is filling the space where Jesus needs to reside. Instead of water, we choose entertainment. We might choose our favorite people to listen to. We might choose um, things that feed us and our personal sense of, of, of affirmation and preservation. And these are not of Christ. Do we love Jesus because of what Jesus can do for us, shifting and waning our hearts depending on whether our desired outcome of our prayers come true? Or do we love Jesus because our relationship with him has grown into a place by which we can do no more or no less than to follow Christ where he goes? And if our relationship is in that place, where we've experienced the depth of his goodness and his love, then it simultaneously will call us to live a life of sacrifice for others. 
It will affect us. It will affect you and I. It'll affect us at work. We'll begin to live sacrificial lives in our marriages. We'll begin to live sacrificial lives in our parenting. At work. On the basketball court. On the soccer field. On the volleyball court. One of the lessons that I tell my, uh, my volleyball boys, they're, they're coming to the end of their season. They've got like three or four more games, and they're killing it right now. They're doing great. They're fantastic. We went away to an away game, and we were playing a, another team, and the team had, they had the heart. They were good people. They're, they're kids. You know, they've got their own stories. They're a wonderful school, but they weren't good volleyball players. And our boys, they had just practiced and they'd gotten into rhythm and, and, and they had learned the rotations and they were running plays and, you know, they're, they're athletic. So, they're, you know, they start, they're, they're serving and, and one of the servers has served like eight in a row, eight in a row. And my boys, I hear them behind me rumbling in the back. Hey, hey, the next one, let's get on the ground and start rowing. Yeah. Oh, no, no. We should start chanting. And I call a timeout, and I said, hey, guys, you're doing great. Keep it up. Um, you know, just, just be good sportsmanship. And then I turned to, to my boys who were on the bench and said, hey, no rowing. Oh, coach, come on. Come on, just one row. No rowing, no rowing. Oh, coach. I said, listen, we are obviously a better team. Let's show them that we are also Christian. Because long past the volleyball courts, I want them to be great human beings. Long beyond winning or losing a championship, I want them to follow Jesus. I want them the heart of the living bread that speaks to them, whether they're on the volleyball court or off the volleyball court. And I want to model that in my life. So this week in intramurals, when we were playing, yes, I'm playing again with the old people. We call ourselves the Olden Eagles. <laughs> we were out there just two nights ago, and we lost. And my heart was like, oh, this is not right. They were subpar. We are superior players. And then the other side of my heart was like, and you're old. <laughs> Calm down. And I went outside and I sat and some of our players and we were there talking and we we're kind of talking about why we lost, why this and that. And then, I, and then I, it came to me, hey, Mr. Timey, um, whether you win or lose these volleyball games, what you are trying to share with your, your, your varsity team over there, you should be modeling in your own life to follow Jesus, to not fill the space where the bread of life is with bread of life like substance. You see, bread of life like substance is us hanging out in our culture together and doing Adventist things and then feeling proud of ourselves because we're so Adventist. And I'm not gonna lie to you, it does feel kind of good. But if all we do is learn how to play sports between our own campuses and live our lives here, we have not been able to flourish on how to live our lives in the world for the greater good. What does that look like for us? To eat the bread of life and not just be filled with bread of life like substance. Do we love Jesus for what Jesus can do for us? Shifting and waning of our hearts, desired goals, or do we love Jesus for the deep and rich relationship that we have with them. So I want to share an illustration of this. 
Uh, I think paper is, is very, you know, it doesn't have any real merit to it unless what is put on the paper gives that thing merit, right? A blank paper is a blank paper, but a paper that's a marriage license is very important. Um, and so sometimes I think that uh, as people, we like certain kinds of paper because it grants us a sense of value. And I'm not even just talking about money. When we think about art, so I want to show you some art here. Uh, this first slide here is Leonardo da Vinci's work. Very, very, very famous, very you know, if you look at it, you know what it is. Leonardo da Vinci was not just an artist. He was an engineer. Put out a lot of good things. This piece is called the what? The, the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Um, I think it's estimated that it's insured for about a billion dollars. And they said that the price is priceless. So that uh, even if you could afford it, it would be hard to purchase this thing and maintain it. That's how, that's how much. This is paper. And someone, a canvas, and someone said, let me draw something. But the value of this piece of paper is just, it's so awe-inspiring. It's universally known for being worth a lot. So those who would own this piece has a sense of pride that, that they own this piece. That somehow the artist who, got, who found its way to me, its masterpiece, is now sharing the artist's value with myself. Here's, a, here's another piece here. Pop this one up here. This is Jenny Saville. Jenny Saville, is, this is just one of her pieces. She does a lot of body form art, uh, mainly female. Just recently, she sold a piece that made her the, um, the, the, the top female living artist who's made the most in art. She sold a piece for $12.9 million. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So they had an auction for it, and someone had, it was a phone call auction in, purchased this piece, and, and, and this individual who purchased this piece, not only purchased the piece, but really what they're purchasing is the sense of value that comes with that piece of art. They are now sharing the artist's value. This, this makes them prestigious. This makes them more valuable in the sight of them than their community. And of course, something a little bit uh, back from the late 1900s is a piece by Ansel Adams. I don't know if you all, for the young people, you may not have seen Ansel Adams' work. This is, uh, most of his stuff are beautiful nature, photography, also on paper. Story, 2014. Somebody who had bought some things from a garage sale four years earlier, had it under their pool table, opened the box, decided to clear out. They found these pieces by Anselm Adam and uh, turn it in. I think it was worth like $200 million. Everyone go look under your counters when you go home. There's, there's a millionaire in you. I know it. I know there is. I mean, just pulls it out, right? And says, whoa, I recognize these kind of photos. Took it to, to get it uh, appraised, and they appraised the mess out of it. Now this man who was living in his house, who was not worth that the day before, gets to share in the value of the artist. Now he has clout. Now he has space to walk a little bit higher because of the pieces that he owns. I want to share one last piece. This piece is called a Corazon de Resistance. And it hangs in one of the safest places 
on this property, my office. The artist, a, a brilliant, brilliant protege, my daughter, drew this for me in kindergarten. And I was at the conference office at that time, so I'd, so I'd put it up in my conference office and it lived there. And then when they kicked me out to come here, I took it down and it traveled with me everywhere I went and it was in my car. And then I brought it here and uh, our, our amazing office manager, Laurieann, put it in a frame. Now, if you ask me how much this piece is worth, let me see. Well, guess what? I, I praised it. So if you show the next shot, I sent it in to be appraised just a few days ago. I paid $30. They have not answered me. <laughs> it's a 48-hour process. I think they thought, what is this man doing? I can only notice, uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> Charleston, yes, sir. Would you appraise this piece? Oh, this one. I see the frame looks like uh, a piece from Tajay. <laughs> I've probably just lost my 30 bucks. But if you ask me which of these pieces are my favorite, it's this one. This one rises to the top for me. This has more meaning than the Mona Lisa. This brings me more joy than Ansel Adams. This speaks truth to me more than, than, than all the other pieces, whether it's Jenny Savelle or anyone else, because this piece is a relational piece. It has no merit or worth to anyone else. Most of you who have come into my office have not even noticed it, um, and it's there. But to me, it's everything. It brings to us, brings to me, my heart, something that is different from the other pieces. You see, other pieces grant people a sense of value and a sense of, of, of posture. But this piece brings me a, a sense of relationship and a sense of responsibility. I don't, I don't look at this piece and say, wow, this is worth a million dollars, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. When I look at this piece, I look at it, and I said, yep, yep, there it is. But it also reminds me that I have bear a responsibility because of my relationship. It calls me to be the best me I can be for the sake of the artist that created this. And so when we think about who God is to us, is God the one that we want to create million-dollar projects in our life or the one that draws close to our heart and calls us to be the best we can be? Is there relational rent there between us and God that draws us into the bread of life, making us more responsible for the world? As Paulin pointed out, if your great-grandmother can't recognize it, then maybe it's not food. Maybe for Christianity, we might say, if those outside our community can't recognize it to be kind, good, or loving, then it might not be from the bread of life. We must take the bread of life seriously. When we partake of communion together, as we will do, when we partake of this bread of life together, for Adventists, we practice an open table. Every denomination and faith does it a little bit differently. We have an open table by which anyone can come and partake of communion. 
This is so that the stranger might feel welcomed and the familiar might remember that the bread is for all of us. This is all of us. It's a bread of life and all are welcome to come to the table so that the unworthy me can partake of this. And as I recognize the pieces have been broken, this, this, this bread of life, the flesh that has been broken, so that I may partake of it, I partake of it with my, with my youth here, with our youth here at the church, led by Pastor Ben. With our varsity and our volleyball players, our girls and our boys. With our university students who may have been dragged in here because they're of exhaustion from having to go to school and, and their minds being beaten and tired and torn. But here at the table, we are all sharers of the bread of life. Each of us with my Palestinian siblings and my Israeli family. All of us. This is our bread of life together. This is the way of God. It's not violent or vengeful or hateful. This is the way of Christ that requires we digest more fully the bread of life, which conjures the deepest of love, overwhelming grace, an unfathomable amount of forgiveness. It draws us all to our knees, not to beg, but to serve. It calls us. The communion as a symbol of eating the true bread of life reminds us that we are all interconnected in Jesus. In a few weeks from today, we will be hosting the Kinship Camp Meeting. If you've not heard about the Kinship Camp Meeting, it is a small group of current and former Adventists that are part of the LGBTQIA community. These are people who sit quietly in the corners of our sacred spaces, wanting an experience with Jesus. And together, once a year, they try to come together and worship, and they've never had the opportunity to come to a church space. Would you think about how, how that is? These are our members, either currently or formerly, who want to meet Jesus, but have had to do it in ballrooms, in hotel spaces, because the people of God have never welcomed them to the table where the bread of life welcomes all. And so, the board last year university church courageous said we are going to lean into hospitality we're going to lean into goodness we're going to lean into love and into welcome we will not be distracted by the voices around us and we will follow Jesus the way Jesus loves so on November 10 to 11 they will be holding a small little camp meeting here on our campus. And if you'd like to come and be a part of that, we need people. We need volunteers to do greeting. We need volunteers to help with communion Friday night. Again, we're going to have communion. Pastor Raywin's going to lead out on it. 
We need people to sit besides people and say, hey, I know you've been through things, but don't ever forget Jesus loves you. Because that is what an amazing church who loves God does for others. So, if you'd like to, we have a, a link. You can jump on there. You can sign up for it. You can, you can uh, I think it's up there. If not, they'll show it. You can invite you and your partner and your kids. My kids and I will be there to come along and bless and welcome and love people as Jesus does.